Chapter Twelve of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter Twelve. Mister Cartwright's letter to his cousin, Colonel Harrington. The intelligent reader will not be surprised to hear that Mr. Cartwright did not suffer himself to be long expected in vain on the following morning. Fanny, however, was already in the garden when he arrived, and as it so happened that he saw her as she was hovering near the shrubbery gate, he turned from the carriage-road and approached her. "'How sweetly does youth, when blessed with such a cheek and eye as yours, Miss Fanny, accord with the fresh morning of such a day as this, I feel—' he added taking her hand and looking in her blushing face that my soul never offers adoration more worthy of my maker than when inspired by intercourse with such a being as you oh mr cartwright cried fanny avoiding his glance by fixing her beautiful eyes upon the ground my dearest child fear not to look at me fear not to meet the eye of a friend who would watch over you fanny as the minister of heaven should watch over that which is best and fairest to make and keep it holy let me have that innocent heart in my keeping my dearest child and all that is idle light and vain shall be banished thence while heavenward thoughts and holy musings shall take its place have you essayed to him the praises of your god fanny since we parted yesterday the question was accompanied by an encouraging pat upon her glowing cheek and fanny her heart beating with vanity shyness hope fear and sundry other feelings drew the manuscript containing a fairly written transcript of her yesterday's labours from her bosom and placed it in his hand mr cartwright pressed it with a sort of pious fervour to his lips and enclosing it for greater security in a letter which he drew from his pocket he laid it carefully within his waistcoat on the left side of his person and as near as possible to that part of it appropriated for the residence of the heart this must be examined in private my beloved child said he solemnly the first attempt to raise such a spirit as yours in holy song has to my feelings something as awful in it as the first glad movement of a seraph's wing where is your mother fanny she's in the library alone oh yes at least i should think so for i am sure she is expecting you farewell then my dear young friend pursue your solitary musing walk and remember fanny that as by your talents you are marked and set apart as it were from the great mass of human souls so will you be looked upon the more fixedly by the searching eye of god it is from him you received this talent keep it sacred to his use as david did and great shall be your reward shall i startle your good mother fanny if i enter by the library window oh no mr cartwright i am sure mamma would be quite vexed if you always went round that long way up to the door especially in summer you know when the windows are always open once more farewell then fanny's hand was again tenderly pressed and they parted it would be a needless lengthening of my tale were i to record all that passed at this and three or four subsequent interviews which took place between the vicar and mrs mowbray on the subject of proving the will together with the kindest and most soothing demonstrations of rapidly increasing friendship and esteem mr cartwright conveyed to her very sound legal information respecting what it was necessary for her to do the only difficulty remaining seemed to arise from mrs mowbray's dislike to apply to any friend in london either for their hospitality or assistance during the visit it was necessary she should make there for the completion of the business this dislike arose from the very disagreeable difficulties which had been thrown in her way by sir gilbert harrington's refusing to act it would have been very painful to her as she frankly avowed to her new friend to announce and explain this refusal to any one 
and it was therefore finally arranged between them that he should give her a letter of introduction to a most excellent and trustworthy friend and relation of his who was distinguished as he assured her for being the most honourable and conscientious attorney in london and perhaps as he added with a sigh the only one who constantly acted with the fear of the lord before his eyes gladly did mrs mowbray accede to this proposal for in truth it removed a world of anxiety from her mind and urged as much by a wish to prove how very easy it was to be independent of sir gilbert as by the strenuous advice of mr cartwright to lose no time in bringing the business to a conclusion she fixed upon the following week for this troublesome but necessary expedition it may serve to throw a light upon the kind and anxious interest which the vicar of rexhill took in the affairs of his widowed parishioner if a copy of his letter to his cousin and friend mr stephen corbold be inserted to stephen corbold esq solicitor gray's inn london my dear and valued friend and cousin it has at length pleased god to enable me to prove to you how sincere is the gratitude which i have ever professed for the important service your father conferred upon me by the timely loan of two hundred pounds when i was as i believe you know inconvenienced by a very troublesome claim it has been a constant matter of regret to me that i should never through the many years which have since passed been able to repay it but if i mistake not the service which i am now able to render you will eventually prove such as fairly to liquidate your claim upon me and from my knowledge of your pious and honourable feelings i cannot doubt your being willing to deliver to me my bond for the same should your advantages from the transaction in hand prove at all commensurate to my expectations here followed a statement of the widow mowbray's business in london with the commentary upon the ways and means which she possessed to carry that and all other business in which she was concerned to a satisfactory conclusion much to the contentment of all those fortunate enough to be employed as her assistants therein the reverend gentleman then proceeded thus nor is this all i would wish to say to you cousin stephen on the subject of the widow mowbray's affairs and the advantages which may arise to you from the connection which equally of course for her advantage as for yours i am desirous of establishing between you i need not tell you cousin stephen who by the blessing of heaven upon your worthy endeavours have already been in a little way to see what law is i need not i say point out to you at any great length how much there must of necessity be to do in the management of an estate and of funds which bring in a net income somewhat exceeding fourteen thousand pounds per annum now i learn from my excellent friend mrs mowbray that her late husband transacted the whole of this business himself an example which it is impossible as i need not remark for his widow and sole legatee to follow she is quite aware of this and by a merciful dispensation of the most high her mind appears to be singularly ductile and liable to receive such impressions as a pious and attentive friend would be able to enforce on all points in addition to this great and heavy charge which it has pleased providence doubtless for his own good purposes to lay upon her she has also the entire management as legal and sole guardian of a young irish heiress of another prodigiously fine property consisting like her own partly of money in the english funds and partly in houses and lands in the north part of ireland the business connected with the torrington property is therefore at this moment as well as everything concerning the widow mowbray's affairs completely without any agent whatever and i am not without hopes cousin stephen that by the blessings of god to usward i may be enabled to obtain the same for you i know the pious habit of your mind cousin and that you like myself 
never see any remarkable occurrence without clearly tracing therein the immediate finger of heaven i confess that throughout the whole of this affair the sudden death of the late owner of this noble fortune the singular will he left by which it all has become wholly and solely at the disposal of his excellent widow the hasty and not overwise determination to renounce the executorship on the part of this petulant sir gilbert harrington the accident or rather series of accidents by which i have become at once and so unexpectedly the chief stay support comfort consolation and adviser of this amiable but very helpless lady throughout the whole of this i cannot i say but observe the gracious providence of my master who wills that i should obtain power and mastery even over the things of this world worthless though they be cousin stephen when set in comparison with those of the world to come it is my clear perception of the will of heaven in this matter which renders me willing yea ardent in my desire to obtain influence over the mowbray family they are not all however equally amiable to the wholesome guidance i would afford them on the contrary it is evident to me that the youngest child is the only one on whom the lord is at present disposed to pour forth a saving light nevertheless i will persevere peradventure the hearts of the disobedient may in the end be turned to the wisdom of the just and we know right well who it is that can save from all danger even though a man went to sea without art attempting a providence which would in my case be most criminal for great in that respect has been its mercy giving unto me that light which is needful to guide us through the rocks and shoals for ever scattered amidst worldly affairs thus much have i written to you cousin stephen with my own hand that you might fully comprehend the work that lies before us but i will not with pen and ink write more unto you for i trust i shall shortly see you and that we shall speak face to face i am now and ever cousin stephen your loving kinsman and christian friend william jacob cartwright rexhill vicarage ninth july eighteen thirty four p s since writing the above the widow mowbray has besought me to instruct the gentleman who is to act as her agent to obtain lodgings for her in a convenient quarter of the town and therefore this letter will precede her nor can she indeed set forth till you shall have written in return to inform her whereunto her equipage must be instructed to drive remember cousin that the apartments be suitable and in choosing them recollect that it is neither you nor i who will pay for the same farewell if i mistake not the mercy of heaven overshadows you my cousin poor mrs mowbray would have rejoiced exceedingly had it been possible for her kind and ever-ready adviser and friend to accompany her to london but as he did not himself propose this she would not venture to do it and only asked him such as an obedient child might ask a parent whether he thought she ought to go attended only by a man and maid-servant or whether she might have the comfort of taking one of her daughters with her mr cartwright looked puzzled indeed the question involved considerable difficulties it was by no means the vicar's wish to appear harsh or disagreeable in his enactments yet neither did he particularly desire that the eldest miss mowbray should be placed in circumstances likely to give her increased influence over her mother and as to fanny his conscience reproached him for having for an instant conceived the idea of permitting one to whom the elective finger of grace had so recently pointed to be removed so far from his fostering care after a few moments of silent consideration he replied no my dearest lady you ought not to be without the soothing presence of a child and if i might advise you on the subject i should recommend your being accompanied by miss helen both because as being the eldest she might expect this preference and because likewise i should deem it prudent to remove her from the great risk and danger 
of falling into the society of your base and injurious enemy during your absence you are quite right about that as i am sure you are about everything mr cartwright i really would not have helen see more of sir gilbert's family for the world she has such wild romantic notions about old friendships being better than new ones that i am sure it would be the way to make terrible disputes between us she has never yet known the misery of having an old friend turn against her nor the comfort mr cartwright of finding a new one sent by providence to supply his place my dearest lady i shall ever praise and bless the dispensation that has placed me near you during this great trial and remember always that those whom the lord loveth he chasteneth ah mr cartwright i fear that i have not been hitherto sufficiently mindful of this and that i have repined where i ought to have blessed but i trust that a more christian spirit is now awakened within me and that henceforward with your aid and by the blessings of heaven upon my humble endeavours i may become worthy of the privilege i enjoy as being one of your congregation may the lord hear receive record and bless that hope cried the vicar fervently seizing her hand and kissing it with holy zeal mrs mowbray coloured slightly but feeling ashamed of the weak and unworthy feeling that caused this she made a strong effort to recover from the sort of embarrassment his action caused and said with as much ease as she could assume rosalind and fanny are both very young and very giddy mr cartwright may i hope that during my short absence which i shall make as short as possible may i hope my kind friend that you will look in upon them every day you cannot doubt it what is there i would not do to spare you an anxious thought they are young and thoughtless particularly your ward miss torrington is just the girl i think to propose some wild frolic perhaps another visit to sir gilbert and your sweet fanny is too young and has too little authority to prevent it good heaven do you think so then what can i do an idea has struck me my dear friend which i will mention to you with all frankness certain that if you disapprove it you will tell me so with an openness and sincerity equal to my own i think that if my staid and quiet daughter henrietta were to pass the short interval of your absence here you might be quite sure that nothing gay or giddy would be done her delicate health and sober turn of mind preclude the possibility of this and her being here would authorize my daily visit there is nothing in the world i should like so well replied mrs mowbray anything likely to promote an intimacy between my young people and a daughter brought up by you must be indeed a blessing to us shall i call upon her or shall i write the invitation you are very kind dear lady very heavenly minded but there is no sort of necessity that you should take the trouble of doing either i will mention to henrietta your most flattering wish that she should be here during your absence and believe me she will be most happy to comply with it i shall be very grateful to her but will it not be more agreeable for her and for us also that she should come immediately i cannot go before monday this is thursday might she not come to us to-morrow how thoughtful is that how like yourself certainly it will be pleasanter for her and i will therefore bring her the conversation was here interrupted by the entrance of a servant with a note but for the better understanding its effect both on the lady and gentleman it will be necessary to recount one or two circumstances which had occurred to the anti-cartwright party in the mowbray family subsequent to their visit to oakley a few days after that which witnessed poor helen's disgrace after entering the drawing-room and receiving a hint from her mother whom she found there in close conclave with the vicar that she had better take her morning walk it happened that she and rosalind as they were earnestly discoursing of their yesterday's visit and enjoying the perfect shade of a lane leading to the village of rexhill perceived a horseman approaching them as slowly as it was possible to make a fine horse walk 
in the next moment however something appeared to have pricked the sides of his intent as well as those of his horse for with a bound or two he was close to them and in the next instant dismounted and by their side the gentleman proved to be colonel harrington who immediately declared with very soldierly frankness that he had been riding through every avenue leading to mowbray park in the hope of being fortunate enough to meet them rosalind smiled while helen without knowing too well what she said answered with a deep blush you are very kind colonel harrington carefully tied up his reins and so arranged them as to leave no danger of their getting loose then giving his steed a slight cut with his riding-whip the obedient animal set off at an easy trot for oakley he knows his way at least as well as i do said the colonel it is my father's old hunter and i selected him on purpose that if i were lucky enough to meet you i might have no trouble about getting rid of him and now tell me helen how did your mother bear the answer my father sent to her note an answer from sir gilbert and a note from my mother said helen alas it was kept secret from me and therefore colonel harrington i had rather you should not talk of it to me it is hardly reasonable that you should insist upon my keeping secret what i have to tell you helen because others are less communicative the letters he receives and writes are surely my father's business either to impart or conceal as he thinks best and he is extremely anxious to learn your opinion respecting your mother's letter and his answer to it he certainly did not imagine that they had been kept secret from you indeed i have never heard of either do you suppose then that she has mentioned them to no one helen did not immediately reply but rosalind did i am very particularly mistaken colonel harrington said she if the reverend william jacob cartwright vicar of rexhill and privy councillor at mowbray park did not superintend the writing of the one and the reading of the other do you really think so miss torrington what do you say helen do you believe this to have been the case he is very often at the park replied helen but do you think it possible that mrs mowbray would communicate to him what she would conceal from you said colonel harrington this question was also left unanswered by helen but rosalind again undertook to reply you will think me a very interfering person i am afraid colonel harrington said she but many feelings keep helen silent which do not influence me and as far as i am capable of judging it is extremely proper and perhaps important that sir gilbert should know that this holy vicar never passes a day without finding or making an excuse for calling at the park i can hardly tell how it is but it certainly does happen that these visits generally take place when we that is helen and i are not in the house but to confess my sins and make a clear breast at once i will tell you what i have never yet told helen and that is that i have ordered my maid to find out if she can when mr cartwright comes he slipped in however through the library window twice yesterday so it is possible that he may sometimes make good an entry without being observed for it is indeed impossible that my judy can be always on the watch though she is so fond of performing her needlework in that pretty trellised summer-house in the park what an excellent vidette you would make miss torrington said the young man laughing but will you tell me sincerely and without any shadow of jesting why it is that you have been so anxious to watch the movements of this reverend gentleman if i talk on the subject at all she replied it will certainly be without any propensity to jesting for i have seldom felt less inclined to be merry than when while watching the increasing influence of mr cartwright over mrs mowbray and fanny it was because i remarked that they never mentioned his having called when i knew he had been there that i grew anxious to learn if possible how constant his visits had become and the result of my espionage is that no day passes without a visit but what makes you speak of this as of an evil miss torrington that is more than i have promised to tell you replied rosalind 
but as we have become so very confidential i have no objection to tell you all and that remember for the especial use of sir gilbert who perhaps if he knew all that i guess would not think he was doing right to leave mrs mowbray in such hands and what then miss torrington is there as you guess against this gentleman rosalind for an instant looked puzzled but by the rapidity with which she proceeded after she began the difficulty seemed to arise solely from not knowing what to say first there is against him said she the having hurried away from hearing the will read to the presence of mrs mowbray and not only announcing its contents to her with what might be called indecent haste considering that there were others to whom the task more fitly belonged and who would have performed it too had they not been thus forestalled not only did he do this but he basely and i do believe most falsely gave her to understand that her son the generous disinterested warm-hearted charles mowbray had manifested displeasure at it further he has turned the head of poor little fanny by begging copies of her verses to send heaven knows where and he moreover has i am sure persuaded mrs mowbray to think that my peerless helen is in fault for something heaven knows what he has likewise as your account of those secret letters renders certain dared to step between an affectionate mother and her devoted child to destroy their dear and close union by hateful and poisonous mystery he has also fomented the unhappy and most silly schism between your pettish father and my petted guardian and moreover with all his far-famed beauty and saint-like benignity of aspect his soft crafty eyes dare not look me in the face and twelfthly and lastly i hate him after this miss torrington said the colonel laughing no man assuredly could be sufficiently hardy to say a word in his defence and all jesting apart he added very seriously i do think you have made out a very strong case against him if my good father sees this growing intimacy between the vicarage and the park with the same feeling that you do i really think it might go farther than any other consideration towards inducing him to rescind his refusal for he has positively refused to act as executor and lead him at once and for ever to forget the unreasonable cause of anger he has conceived against your mother helen then let him know it without an hour's delay said helen dear colonel harrington why did you let your horse go walk you must but let it be as fast as you can and let your father understand exactly everything that rosalind has told you for though i should hardly have ventured to say as much myself i own that i think she is not much mistaken in any of her conclusions and you follow her helen up to her twelfthly and lastly do you too hate this reverend gentleman helen sighed i hope not colonel harrington she replied i should be sorry to believe myself capable of hating but surely i do not love him the young ladies in their eagerness to set the colonel off on his road to oakley were unconsciously or at least obliviously guilty of accompanying him at least half the distance and at last it was rosalind and not the much more shy and timid helen who became aware of the singularity of the proceeding and where may we be going i should like to know she said suddenly stopping short helen is it the fashion for the hampshire ladies to escort home the gentlemen they chance to meet in their walks we never do that in my country colonel harrington looked positively angry and helen blushed celestial rosy red but soon recovered herself and said with that species of frankness which at once disarms quizzing it is very true rosalind we seem to be doing a very strange thing but we have had a great deal to say that was really important yet nothing so much so as leading colonel harrington to his father with as little delay as possible but now i think we have said all good-bye colonel harrington i need not tell you how grateful we shall all be if you can persuade sir gilbert to restore us all to favour the all is but one helen but the doing so i now feel to be very important 
farewell take care of yourselves for i will not vex you helen by turning back again farewell the letter which interrupted the tete-a-tete between mrs mowbray and the vicar was an immediate consequence of this conversation and was as follows madam upon a maturer consideration of the possible effects to the family of my late friend which my refusal to act as his executor may produce i am willing notwithstanding my repugnance to the office to perform the duties of it and hereby desire to revoke my late refusal to do so gilbert harrington oakley july twelfth eighteen thirty three thank heaven exclaimed mrs mowbray as soon as she had read the note thank heaven that i have no longer any occasion to submit myself to the caprices of any man and yet she added putting the paper into mr cartwright's hands i suppose it will be best for me to accept his reluctant and ungracious offer mr cartwright took the paper and perused it with great attention and more than once at length he said i trust i did not understand you what was it you said dearest mrs mowbray respecting this most insulting communication i hardly know mr cartwright what i said replied mrs mowbray colouring how can i know what to say to a person who can treat a woman in my painful situation with such cruel caprice such unfeeling inconsistency were i you my valued friend i should make the matter very easy for i should say nothing to him nothing do you mean that you would not answer the letter certainly that is what i should recommend as the only mode of noticing it consistently with respect you owe yourself i am sure you are quite right replied mrs mowbray looking relieved from a load of difficulty it certainly does not deserve an answer said she and i am sure i should not in the least know what to say to him then let us treat the scroll as it deserves to be treated said the vicar with a smile let the indignant wind bear it back to the face of the hard-hearted and insulting writer and so saying he eagerly tore the paper into minute atoms and appeared about to consign them to the conveyance he mentioned but suddenly checked himself and with thoughtful consideration for the gardener added but no we will not disfigure your beautiful lawn by casting these fragments upon it i will dispose of them on the other side of the fence End of chapter twelve